Welcome to Bird Camp Podcast. This is a show dedicated to the pursuit and promotion of upland birds, specifically the rough grouse. So if you like sitting around a campfire with your favorite bird dog and two brothers from Michigan who love talking about upland hunting, this podcast is for you. So let's put another log on the fire and start the show. This is Bird Camp. Welcome to Bird Camp. This is our first episode, podcast number one, August 2020. It's a different world today. We'll get into that a little later with some questions about the effects of COVID on the 2020 hunt, both on the birds and possibly on the hunters and the choices we make. As an introduction, I'm Kevin Thorne, host of Bird Camp. My co-host is Matt Thorne, my brother. He's also the electronics guru who is working the mixing board and making sure everything stays on course with Bird Camp. So we'll start off just to get an introduction so you know who we are, talking here to my brother Matt, and uh, how did you start hunting, Matt? Well, I started hunting up uh, when you and I both lived in the eastern upper peninsula, but I didn't really bird hunt. You were, what, seven, eight years older than me? Mm-hmm. You were hunting with your friends, and uh, our father really wasn't into upland hunting at all. Did a little bit of deer hunting, and uh, our dad and uncles took me out deer hunting a little bit. I noticed the birds around, but... Didn't really hunt until actually 1994 when you first took me hunting back up on the family farm and uh, surrounding areas. And uh, that's when I really got into it. And I started with a single barrel shotgun 12 gauge. The Englander. A New Englander. (laughs) Actually, I think you gave me. I gave you for Christmas. For Christmas a few years earlier. But that's pretty much my story. And I've been hunting even though I've moved away from Michigan what, three times now, and I mm-hmm. keep getting drawn, sucked back into this state. It's a beautiful state, but uh, I've been growing my experience of bird hunting ever since. So how about you? What's your story? Well, I'm going to pile on to your story first, brother. Uh, the first day we went out hunting, we were uh, sharp tail hunting, and uh, on a, on, as you mentioned, the family farm in the eastern upper peninsula, and I gave you all the instruction. You had been deer hunting that morning, and I was out shooting sharp tail or attempting to. I don't remember if I had knocked any down, but they were plentiful. This was before the season was closed for about 10 years in the early 90s, as you mentioned. And as we're walking out, we didn't take more than 20 steps. I'd give you all the instructions on the shooting zones and everything, and the first sharp tail goes up. I say, shoot it, shoot it, and you hesitate it. Then you pulled up the old New Englander, I think it was, and... Uh, fired and I turned to say what the because you know it was quite a long ways out across the uh, clover fields yeah and that bird was pretty much going almost straight up you hit it one BB went through the eye the bird went straight up in the air I turned back and I was like you got to be kidding me paced it off at believe it or not 77 yards and I've never seen anything like it since or before it was a lucky one one pellet shot right through the eye and uh, I knew right there my brother was hooked. He was like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I haven't stopped ever since then. <laughs> yeah. So that, my story as the intro is I grew up um, in the eastern upper peninsula, obviously with my brother. Uh, there is an age difference. So uh, I started hunting on Sunday afternoons. Uh, we owned several businesses. Our family did, my f- father and mother, and our father and mother. 
and we, we owned several businesses, and so my time was very limited. So between church church services on Sunday, I would walk the fields with a few of my friends, uh, usually one friend at a time, and we would just walk. We had no clue what we were doing. We uh, I remember I used to wear a family uh, CPO coat um, and a flannel hat, and it kind of looked like what you see in the old books. And... Uh, we did knock down some birds, but we honestly had no clue what we were doing. But it was very addictive, and what it, what drew me to it is what you see. It's the coolness. It, it's the aspen trees and the pine trees. I had a big went to college uh, well, well out of Michigan, and um, always had a fondness to it. When I got when I settled back in southern Michigan, I um, I started right back in with it, and now we have a full bird camp of many friends and brothers and. And it's always a great scene and what we look forward to. I know every year in the fall or late summer like it is now, when I walk outside in the morning and it's beautiful and cool out, my first thought isn't about here. It's about up north, and it's ready to go to bird camp. Okay, now when you started back then between Sunday church services, what kind of gun were you using? Uh, family hand-me-down uh, that I think you may still be here safe. It's a, it's a, it was a... I believe it was a Sears single sh- single shot sixteen gauge. Sixteen gauge. You remember what you were? What kind of shells you're loading in? Like what uh, size? Or? Shows, but the shells were bought at the hardware. In whatever the, dad, whatever dad said. I I think a lot of them were sixes. Some of them were probably even paper cartridges. I have no idea. So you were hunting a sixteen gauge. What were your buddies hunting with back then? Uh, it was a variety. I I'm struggling to think, but they uh, there was some higher gauges. I remember one guy had a four ten. And, uh, and, um, uh, I, I didn't see a lot of 20 gauges back then. I don't know if that's 12 because, gauges. I mean, that's pretty Twelves in higher gauges, which were just little, you know, bird guns that were left through the family. And were you guys hunting with dogs? Uh, no. Um, occasionally the family dog would come with us. But I do. He wasn't a bird dog. He was mine. Yeah. It was, it was actually not our family dog. Other people would oh, take their dogs, but dog. there was not a good bird dog, you know, out there. And basically we walked, you know, we just would walk the fields and the farms and, you, and know, you guys would walk from actually in town all the way out to the farm on a river trail, which was, yeah, that river trail, uh, we would leave our, neighborhood basically and walk along the river yeah right through town small town with shotguns right we would walk right through we would walk right through town with shotguns and then we would exit go out through the what's now the township park and and uh, go out towards um, the family farm uh, because we lived in town and our uncle had the farm at that point and yeah, we which would, was our grandparents, which was grandparents, great grandparents, and the farm's still there. And so we uh, we would follow the rivers and just walk the fields. And um, occasionally we would get a duck, and occasionally we'd see a sharp tail. And we couldn't probably at that point, at fifteen years old, tell the difference between a sharp tail and a rough. It was right, just right. it was just a learning thing. But there's something magical about it that grabbed me, and. Years later, it's become my prime hobby. Has been for thirty years now, and it's so. So tell me how how have things changed? I mean, how do you tackle grouse hunting now? What's changed between then and now as far as gear tactics? Well, that go, Matt, that goes right back to the show Bird Camp. It, it was it's an education, and I read somewhere a great quote that says, "In order to figure out how to grouse hunt, you're going to go through four dogs." 
10 pair of boots, several pickup trucks, and I wish I could source the author of this. Yeah, I'm on my fourth dog. You're on your fourth dog. I'm probably on my 20th pair of boots. And by the end, your legs are gone, you're too old, the dogs are gone, and that's when you figure it out. I, I hope to God that I don't figure it out as I'm dying going, I know the answer. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a continual learning experience. I would say we're much more scientific now, obviously, than a couple kids walking around with single gauges. Uh, we, we do use maps, electronics, and we try and figure out where the, where the best cover is. We try and figure out where the aspens are and the berries. And, do you oh, use a, I'm just going to help our listeners out here. Um, I know Exxon's very popular. We've tried, I've tried using that. It's okay. Um, we always kind of go back to the published maps that are in a book. I don't want to say the name, but um, that are very expensive, by the way, and should be. Yeah, yeah. What what happened with that? You used to be able to buy them for ten dollars, and now they cut the state like three time, three ways, and it's right, like right. forty it's bucks right. each. Yeah, it's capitalism. <laughs> and you you know my map. It it's been falling apart for twenty years. Yeah, you could probably make copies of that map and sell it on our oh, so, podcast. Sell it because it has dollars. Well, it was in about fifteen twenty years. I marked every shot, every location, every, every flush. Yeah. And, and the, our bird camp jokes when I die, that's going to be the most popular. Well, it fell item. apart, didn't it, or do you still have it? I still have it. it it's falling <laughs> apart, believe me. <laughs> but um, so I, I don't use electronics as much. Um, we're relying, I would, I would say the groups I hunt with, with you and with other people, that we rely more on experience now. Yeah. And we document. Uh, I've gifted uh, Dr. Tom, who will be a guest on one of the future podcasts, a book, and I wrote in the places he and I had gotten birds on there That's and put cool. put marks on maps. as a great gift for him. Um, other people use electronics a lot, including the Exxon, I believe it's called. Exxon, yeah, it's most popular. And, um, I've used it before. A lot of guys use it for different sports. I, I think it's probably actually pretty good for upland hunting, especially you know for us because this sport you tend to use state land a lot. Um, you do use private land, obviously, with permission and stuff, but it's not like setting up your deer camp where you're set up the same place every year and you go to the same one or two places. Hunting, uh, especially rough grouse, even woodcock, I mean, you have to get out and explore. Well, yeah, and absolutely, and, and the terrain and the, the foliage changes because um, they'll come in and log one of your favorite spots. We've, sure. had, we've had that several times. Where or, or predators, or just or, overhunting, or... Or development, or weather. There's so many factors. I mean, the the ones we've run into several where we go back to a spot that's been pretty productive, and it's been logged off. And now we, you know, grouse hunters understand that logging helps, especially if they leave the as some aspens to repopulate. And um, that that's not a bad thing. We're not arguing with the logging, but you know, the terrain changes, the areas change. Um, I mean, one that was uh, an intentional burn in one of our areas that we uh, showed up a week after we were there and they had burned down one of our grouse areas. Well, they burned it for development. There was a sign there saying that. So, yeah, that was kind of surprising. That was kind of surprising and shocking. That show up on Exxon or your, your map or, or Google Maps or anything. That won't show up on anything. So changes can be rapid. Yes. It can be slow. Um, some areas develop to maturity and they're, they're not as productive anymore. Uh, we, all, we always try... And I think you'll agree with this, brother. Is we, we try and look for new areas every year, but we revisit old spots a lot. Yeah, and that's how I mean you got to go out and scout too. Um, 
even before, like right now, a lot of guys are going out and scouting and just checking out new areas or checking out the areas they've always hunted before just to see what's going on. What's going on, what's changed, you know, and like we talked about. And hey, uh, if you see some birds, if you, you know, that's a... Hey, let's go back Mark it. And, and I, I've noticed in the past, you've marked it electronically, yep. where I'll pull up my map and say, put a note in there. Um, I, I will tell you the one thing that doesn't work about spots you want to hunt is asking other hunters in the field. That is the most invasive yeah, conversation you'll ever see. Sometimes you'll get, conversations are fun. Sometimes they're not fun. Sometimes they're hilarious. And sometimes you know the guy is just outright lying to you. It, it's a range but it's always like you said an interesting conversation it's evasive because you'll say evasive have you you know we've heard some shots where have you been and they'll just point in a general southerly direction oh, over there maybe a mile or two <laughs> yeah what well, one we had just like two years ago and you know this is the evasive part i'm not going to tell you exactly where we were but right. we, there were some guys when we came out we're sitting there with their dogs having their snack and um we stopped the truck and i was like how you doing well, seeing a few, where at? And then you got the kind of general wave in a general direction. And I said, I says, you bag any? And I usually don't ask that question, but but there was a reason. In fact, my brother sitting next to me in the truck kind of looked at me like, hmm, not your normal question. Well, the reason is I could see the bird tail yeah. sticking out of the back. And he goes, no, we haven't seen anything. And I'm going, there's at least two birds in his pouch. <laughs> but, yeah, we heard the, the gunshots earlier. But, you know, I think the evasiveness on the hunters, as, as we're kind of randomly moving through topics here, I, I think the evasiveness is protecting the pristine environments we found. It, it's not that we don't want to share. It's the fact that we don't want them overrun because the memories are so poignant to us. Um you know, we, we still talk. Everybody in our bird camp talks about certain hunts, certain birds, and certain thing, funny things that happen. Right, and that's what this podcast is about, just to share. That's exactly it. It's sharing, and that's why our audience, we're going to call the Covey, we bring you in. We're going to ask you a lot of questions, and in later episodes, uh, what we'll do is we'll ask uh, questions, and we'll ask one today to get us started. And uh, we like humor in this. You'll hear it through the podcast so what, what's your favorite stumble or fall with your Is that what we're group? going with for this one? Your favorite stumble, stumble or, or fall, fall by you or your, someone in your hunting party? Not necessarily looking for place, but just how it happened. Was it funny? Did somebody get hurt really bad? That might not be funny, but it's something you'll remember. It's something time. memorable. You know, it could be funny. Well, you know, we hope not tragic, but I, I'll lead this one off and tell our fun, one of, one of our many funny ones. Is uh, we we were up in around the family farm in the eastern UP, and we were sharp tail hunting the, um, before the the season was closed, and and uh, our friends and relatives up there always thought we were crazy because we were always rooting for terrible weather. We just wanted terrible weather. We want the birds moving around, you know. And we woke up one morning. It was thirty four degrees, thirty five degrees, sleet storm, nasty, and. As our uncle, who's a, who's a dairy farmer, is going to chore, we're, we're getting ready to go out in the, you know, just as lights breaking and we know where we're going. And so we went and sloughed around and it was wet and it was just nasty weather. And uh, finally, one of us said, we're not seeing a lot of birds here. Why don't we take the old Indian trail along the river and see if we can kick up a duck? Now, this is red clay that we're standing on. We're standing on top of a hill 25 feet above the river in muck boots. I hope you know where this is going. 
Okay. So I looked at it. Explain what muck boots are. Muck boots are barn boots. They're rubber boots. The rubber boots. Yeah, you it was so wet that it was so wet, and it's it's kind of in a floodable area around where we grew up, and so you have to have rubber boots. Otherwise, any boot, upland boot, is just not going to work. Because not only because you're going to be soaking wet, even though they might be waterproof, but your foot is going to get sucked in. And sucked in. Yes. So we had our foul weather muck boots on and as we call them, and we're, we're up there, and we're looking, and I go, you know, that's a good idea. I haven't walked that old Indian, we call it an Indian trail, but it was originally a Native American trail alongside the river. My brother takes one step, the red clay hits his muck boots, he goes right down his butt, and right down the hill towards the river, sliding, and I'm standing there going, that's hilarious. That might be a reason not to wear muck boots. <laughs> that is a reason, <laughs> as, as we learned. So I'm standing laughing, he's sliding on his butt down the hill, and I'm going, boy, I hope he doesn't go in the river. And I took, I just shifted my feet, and I went right behind him in the same path, just what, yelling. What do you call it? Romancing the <laughs> so, stone. So we call that story Romancing the Stone. <laughs> if you've ever seen the movie, there's a similar scene. We call that story Romancing the Stone because down we went. Luckily, neither one of us went in the river, but we were pretty muddy by the time we got to the bottom. Yeah, I just remember getting to the bottom and being a little embarrassed and laughing and then thinking, what's that noise? Looking back, like, I need to get out of the way. <laughs> Here comes a big man. He hits me. This is going to be bad. It's going to be bad. We have loaded shotguns, by the way, which we're both protecting and holding up. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're holding them up going down the hill. It's just not a hill. There's trees, little trees, aspens. And, uh, and, and a river that's probably 35 degrees. So. Yeah. So that's kind of our funny story. And I guess that'll be our first question on our initial episode here is, Tell us, it doesn't have to be funny, you know, you, you make it what you want, and at a later episode, we'll we'll read some of them back and talk about them. I'm sh- I, I've got plenty, and my brother's got plenty, we got plenty of stories here, and, and we want to include the audience. We don't want to talk to you, we'd like to talk with you in the way we can, which is getting comments back from you. And uh, we'll provide, at the end of the show, uh, a feedback on how to do that via email or um possibly text or even a voice message but uh, we'll let you know how to do that we'll wrap that up at the uh, end of the show but in future future episodes um we're going to cover uh COVID-19 on a few on a one of the episodes coming up very soon talk to some of the experts see if see if there's any zoonosis as how diseases transfer from humans to other animals or back from animals to humans see if there's any covid effects maybe we can get a good answer from somebody a scientist saying will it affect birds but we also our next episode we want to include how has it affected us um will our hotels our restaurants for for hunt for hunting yeah how yeah not not health on us that's been overdone you know and i I know my brother and i both roll the every time we hear the term new reality we kind of roll our eyes well in its essence Will the hotels we stay at, will the camps we stay at, will the um, restaurants we eat at, the state campgrounds, campgrounds. you know, so we're going to do a little research into that, get a few things and come back and talk about that and have some guests on, on, on the next episode, because case and example is there, there was a rest, there was a sub shop in Gaylord. My brother and I have been going to for years when we always look forward and talk to about it. It's spicy Bob's and Gaylord's. Well, oh, spicy Bob's. Oh, spicy Bob. Oh, it's, it's good stuff. But so it's not open. I heard from my neighbor who lives there part time. Spicy Bob's is now closed. Sad. And so when we look at that, um, Try again. sad, sad.
so we'll, as we pass through Gaylord hunting this year, we're going to have to have to find a new place. But we'll, we'll kind of give you some haunts and maybe talk to somebody and uh, look at the tourism board and and uh, as we get into the season. So this wraps up our initial. This will be a short one, and we just want to give you a taste of what's going on and what why we're doing bird camp. And so at the end of bird camp, the way we do it, and everybody does it different, is we go to the campfire. So welcome to the campfire. We'll be telling some stories, having some laughs, and see you on the next podcast, which will be podcast number two of bird camp. you'd like to leave us some feedback here at the bird camp podcast, feel free to check out our Facebook page. Just search Bird Camp Podcast. From there, you can email us directly, or you can just email us using the email address mi.birdcamp at gmail.com. We hope to hear some feedback as well as some good fall stories from you for our upcoming episode. Thanks for listening.